fantastic. Right. Those of you that are close to me know that I've changed position at work a couple of times or so the last, over the last year. Um, I was an electrician working on the tools, concentrating on getting the job done and, and getting away as quick as I could every single day. <laughs> me, me and Joel had an ongoing joke. We used to call each other Half Day Harry <laughs> because of the early shoots that we used to get. To be fair, Joel was the champion. <laughs> I, then, I then moved into supervision, and at the beginning of this year, I was site supervisor for about 20 or 30 guys on average per day. All of a sudden, my early shoots seemed to dry up. That particular avenue of pleasure got shut down for me. <laughs> God gave me the grace to make the adjustments, and I enjoyed telling the guys what to do, but I felt a great responsibility that came with it. People were watching me. The way I spoke to people, my timekeeping, the way I handled tricky situations. Then a couple of months ago, my company approached me and offered me a new position as a project manager. I'm like, what is going on? I accepted because I felt God was leading me into this. So I got given two jobs to run almost immediately, thrown out into the deep with the word swim. <laughs> and at times I'm swimming full throttle, as fast as my arms and legs can take me, with what feels like jaws behind me. <laughs> I immediately felt the responsibility turn up another notch. Now I had the guys and the responsibility of the project finishing on time and within budget. Over this last year, God has just been teaching me and showing me about responsibility and how important it is. And I believe that's what he wants me to bring today. So, responsibility, what does it mean? This is what the dictionary says. A state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having a place of trust over a person or people. The state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having a place of trust over a person or people. A great example of both of these coming in together is a soldier. He has a duty to deal with something, the mission that he's been given to complete. And most certainly, he has a place of trust over people, either to protect the people within the mission or the lives around him, his fellow soldiers. Who believes that they have responsibilities in this place this morning? Wow, five of us. <laughs> wow, maybe we need to hear this message this morning. For those of you who have had the pleasure of being on a building site or around a health and safety environment, you might have come across the poster. It has a mirror on it and it says the words, you are looking at the person who is responsible for your safety. Every day that you look in that mirror, there is a reminder of the one person who is responsible for the decisions that you make. From the very beginning, it was God's desire and purpose to give us all responsibilities. We start in Genesis 1.28. After God created Adam and Eve, he blessed them. Then it goes on to say, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God was laying down the foundations of responsibility to give us ownership of what he created, to give us that place of trust. It seems today that no one wants to take responsibility for anything. We live in a blame culture that takes away the responsibility of each individual. I read a quote from someone the other day, which I felt was amazing. Be thankful for bad luck. Without it, you'd have to blame yourself. <laughs> it seems we are willing to look at anything to blame instead of ourselves. As a society, we have become experts at blaming others. People are in debt. They say it's because it's easy to get credit these days. People have got lung cancer because they've been smoking all their lives, but yet it's the cigarette company's fault. People are overweight, but it's the supermarket's fault because they do these two-for-one deals now. <laughs> can, it can even happen in the church. We can have our struggles and begin to fall away and say, it's not my fault. I'm not the one to blame, it's the church's fault. They just aren't friendly enough. They don't get out of their way for me. No one has ever invited me around for dinner. They just do not meet my needs. Before you know it, you're isolated with resentment as your companion. Let's turn back again to, to Genesis chapter 3, where we see it didn't take long before the blaming started. We pick it up in verse 4, with the serpent encouraging Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. He says to her, you surely, you surely won't die. Then in verse 6 he goes on to say, the woman was convinced. Then we jump down to verse 11 to 13. The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman, the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit and ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. After the disobedience of eating from the tree, it was followed immediately by the blame game. Adam blamed God for the woman that he gave him, and Eve blamed the devil, the devil for deceiving her. Does that sound familiar? How many of us today blame God for the situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in? Or the devil for every little thing that goes wrong in our lives? I think at times we can use the enemy as a get-out-of-jail-free card. When in fact, we are doing the exact opposite. We can imprison ourselves by not taking responsibility for our choices. The Word of God says to be aware of him, not to empower him for our lack of responsibility. I'm going to say that again because I believe there's, there's people who need to hear that. We, we can imprison ourselves by not taking responsibility for our choices. The Word of God says to be aware of him, not to empower him with our lack of responsibility. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. God gives us the freedom, the opportunity to choose. Did the devil get even a headlock? Did he hold a gun to her head and make her make that decision? Of course he didn't. He doesn't have the authority to. It's only us that gives him that authority. Again, in Genesis chapter 4, we hear the story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. 
Both brothers give sacrifices to God. Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's rejected by God. We pick it up in verse 6. The Lord asks Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door. He's eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. We see here the Lord giving Cain clear warning and instruction. Then in the very next verse, we hear Cain led his brother out into the fields where he killed him. It goes on in verse 9. God asks Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? Cain's response was shocking. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Does Cain sound like a man of responsibility to you? He most certainly was his brother's keeper. He refused to accept any accountability at all. Despite the fact that he just murdered his own brother. There is always consequences that follow these accounts. We know with Eve that her childbearing was made more difficult and she was given a desire to control her husband. With Adam, he was going to have to graft like mad to get the food from the ground from now on. And with Cain, the ground would no longer yield crops for him. And probably the worst of all, he was sent out of the Lord's presence as a homeless wanderer. There are many more throughout the Bible where the blame game comes into play. I'm going to fire through a couple of examples. We don't need to turn to them. Genesis 16, 1-5. Sarah became upset with Abraham when Hagar bore him a son, even though Abraham was following her advice. Genesis 27, verse 36, Esau complained that Jacob deceived him and got the birthright, when in fact he had sold it to his brother. Exodus 32, 21 to 24, Aaron would not own up to the fact that he had formed the golden calf. Matthew 27, 24, Pilate wanted to wash his hands of Jesus' death. He wasn't willing to take responsibility for it. So it was the crowd's fault. We see the pattern from the very beginning, right the way through till today. People trying to shirk responsibility. I see it all the time at work. I've had grown men throw tantrums at work, launching their tools across the site and walking off because they're scared. They can't take responsibility. People are afraid of it. We, as God's people, should be embracing it. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says about responsibility. In Romans 14, 12, it says, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. God is going to hold each of us responsible for the choices we make. Scary stuff, eh? So if we're going to be held accountable, we need to make sure that we're being responsible with what we've been given, right? So what have we been given? Let's take a look and turn to 1 Timothy, where Paul gives clear instructions on Timothy's responsibilities. 1 Timothy 1.18. This is Timothy, my son. Here are my instructions, responsibilities for you. 
based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. We have a responsibility to use the words and the promises that God has given us, to use them in battle, to recall and remember them. I received a prophecy at the beginning of the year about all this stuff that's happened this year at work. And at times it's been, it's been hard. It's been a struggle. And it's like, God, what is going on? It's like one morning. It's like, God, I need to see this stuff. If you're, if you're saying this stuff about me, I need to see this. And the words of the Lord were very clear. Do you know what he said to me? No, you don't. You just need to believe me. He's given us these words for a reason. Without them, we will fall. 1 Timothy 6.20 Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Paul is telling Timothy that he has a responsibility to guard what God has given him. To guard his heart. To guard his faith. We all know about the armour of God. Again, it's there for a reason. Paul is warning him that attacks will come. He will need to protect what's been given to him, as do we. We then move on to 2 Timothy 1.12. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul was more than willing to suffer for Christ. Why? Because in his words, I know the one in whom I trust. That is the key. Our number one responsibility is to know God. We will not be willing to suffer unless we know him. We cannot grow without enduring the seasons of suffering. Paul goes on to say, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. What has Paul entrusted to God? Everything. His complete salvation. Paul has complete confidence in God because he knows him. Paul did absolutely everything he could to get to know Jesus more ever since that encounter that he had with him on the road to Damascus. What was the first thing he did? Surround himself with God's people. 2 Timothy 2.3 Paul invites Timothy to endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging Timothy to join him in his suffering. That doesn't sound very inviting, does it? (laughs) And he goes on to say, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, an army recruit has to go for a lot of training and suffering before he makes it as a soldier. Before he can be trusted with the lives of others around him. Without the training and the battles, the tasks, he will not make it. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, the soldiers do not get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. It's been a major battle, a struggle for me to set those boundaries in place. We can get so 
caught up in work that we can lose sight of the reason we're there. He is the reason. He is the reason that I am there. I am there. He's placed me there for his glory. We cannot afford to put civilian matters in front of him. When we do, we create idols in his place. 2 Timothy 2.5 And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. You see, he is the prize. And I believe the rules are our responsibilities. The more we embrace our responsibilities that he has given us, the more he reveals himself to us. Jesus himself said in Luke 16, 10 and 11, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He is the true riches. He is the treasure. We need to see that. We need to see how powerful that is. The more we embrace our responsibilities that he has given us, the more he reveals himself to us. He is the prize. Let's recap on some of our responsibilities. Number one, first and foremost, is to know God. That has got to be our number one responsibility, is to know God. In Paul's words, he said, I know the one in whom I trust. Number two, be trained in warfare. Failure in this may let down many and affect the whole campaign. Number three, undivided attention. We know David in Psalm 27, 4, he said, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon your beauty and to seek him in his temple. David knew the importance of keeping his eye on the Lord more than most. Number four, be alongside others. Togetherness in battle is the key. You see, no soldier can fight a war on his own. I don't care how good he is. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. Rambo does not exist. <laughs> we need each other, each and every single one of us. Because God made it that way. We see this in Ephesians 4.16. He says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God gives us this wonderful picture of a body, his body, the church, with Christ as the head and we as the members. Each of us has a part to play, a responsibility within the body. If we fail to accept that, if we fail to embrace it, the consequences can be fatal. 
Years ago, I fractured my elbow playing football. Not only was it very painful, but I remember the things it stopped me doing. For six weeks, I had my arm in a sling. I couldn't write, because it had to be the right arm, didn't it? <laughs> I couldn't drive. I couldn't play football anymore. And I couldn't work. You see, because my body wasn't fully functional, it affected many things. Even, even though I was out, out of a sling six, week, like six weeks later, there were weeks and months of building it back up to strength. That's just one example <coughs> of what can happen if we, if we lose a member of the body and they're not functioning properly. Let's take a look in Genesis 11, 4 to 8, where it gives us an example of what can happen when we all come together as one. After the great flood, humanity began to repopulate in a plain in the land of Shinar, where they started to build a tower. We pick it up in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. It's verse 6 that we're interested in. God said, look, the people are united. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. The lesson learned is that when unity is harnessed, intentional and channeled, it is unstoppable. Imagine the church, God's own people, taking their responsibilities seriously, coming together as one accord. Imagine how powerful that would be. That is God's will for us. That is God's desire for us this morning. God bless you all. Amen.